0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to begin our gathering here today by calling in the spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those people who lived well and died well, those people who bring to us the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful from the lives of all those who have gone before us. These people lived hard. These people confronted really their own versions of the same challenges that we confront today. And we ask those people who prevailed, those people who were creative and innovative and learned from all that was present in their lives, we ask them to be with us here today as our ancestral helping spirits to hold the space for us, the living, to go forward in a new way. And with the ancestors gathering around us and holding space for us, helping us to be better and better and better versions of ourselves, we move into our bodies, into our hearts and into our bellies and extend down all the way into the center of the earth. And with our energy deeply extended into the earth, let us give thanks for this day. Whatever the day holds, let's give thanks for it, for the beauty in it, for the wonder in it, for that which is not yet unfolded in this day, and for the miracle of life that you carry within yourself. Let's take a moment and be in awe for that miracle and to give thanks for all the change and transformation and inspiration that this energy makes available to us in every day. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth and the wonder of her dreaming that brought all life as we know it to the face of the planet. And we begin to draw the energy of the earth up, up through all the layers of the earth and into our legs and into our bodies. And in this way, we call in the energy of connection and uh, grounding, belonging, place, home, caring, the connectivity of things. We give thanks to the earth. For the interconnection of things, for the oneness of things and the way in which all things cycle through the ages, cycle through the seasons, cycle through the moments of the day to restore and renew and replenish if we can only learn how to get out of the way and let that happen. So we give thanks to the earth for that constant rejuvenation and regeneration that comes in the nature of this dreaming. We give thanks to the earth for the oneness of all things, for the connection of all things, and for that opportunity in that oneness to find our true uniqueness, our true authenticity, and to breathe life into that energy so that the oneness knows itself ever more fully. And so with our feet firmly planted in the earth and the earth's energy moving through our bodies, let's extend that energy up from our hearts to our heads and our heads out through the layers of the sky, out through the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call this power, call out to it, touch it with your energy, touch it with your mind, touch it with your awareness to be one with it and draw it down. All things manifest in this dream are divine. And so feel your own divinity as you connect to the divine and draw that energy down into yourself, into your day, and into our proceedings here. Calling in the energy of protection, the energy of blessing, and the energy of the generosity of this existence, the benevolence and the beneficence of this universe in which we live. We call out to these energies and draw them into our lives so that we are supported in our excellence, in our devotion, and in our precision in doing what we have come here to do and not being distracted and not um, throwing our energy and resources away at all the many things we don't really need to be doing. So we draw in the energy of the sky into our heads, into our hearts, into our bellies, and we let the energy of the earth and sky dance within us, the two great lovers, the earth and sky, dancing within us in this great Taoistic wholeness. And into this wholeness, we call out the spirit of the heart, and we awaken the spirit of the heart, and we call out to this energy to be with us here today and to open in the great crucible that it is, in this, this magical container that is able to hold the fiery passions of the belly, that hold that passion for our soul's true purpose and the crystal icy clarity of the mind that ability of the mind to find its way through things without distraction we call these energies into the heart and wonder at how the heart holds these two energies in this dynamic tension that allows that third energy to emerge in the knowing of your own heart which is why you are here your soul's true purpose and the unique genius that you bring to the world. And right there in the beauty of your heart, may you find courage to bring those gifts ever more fully manifest into the world through your actions, through your words, and through your intention in this day. So with these spirit energies called around us, the ancestors standing round, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart ignited in the center of it all, we give thanks to the spirits for being with us here today. And I also give thanks to the spirit of generosity and the people who have given financially to help the show stay alive and on the air. I want to thank Mindy and Paula and Jessica in particular and all those who have donated to the show. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, I ask you to please do something to let that meaning, that motivation in your heart to move you into action so that you can experience the core energy of shamanism which is allowing your actions in the world to be motivated by what moves you in the heart not in a way that is random emotional and flaky but in a way that is driven by the true purpose of your soul and your soul's interconnection with all things and may we know from our ability to begin to act in the world from our heart. May we begin to feel the true energy that connects things and moves through things and enlivens things and inspirits things because this energy is a manifestation of love in the cosmic sense. And so I ask you all, if you feel moved to do something to strengthen the show, be they questions, be they sharing the show with others in your journey circle, journey on them, share them with your helping spirits. And ultimately, if you are able, large or small, to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, where you'll find the free archives of all the past shows. And also the support button, which allows you to click and um, offer support. If you are uncomfortable offering uh, paying for things through the internet, please feel free to send me an email at Christina at LastMathCenter.org and I'd be happy to give you um, the regular old-fashioned mailing address. So thank you all for being with me here today. We are live this week. You are invited to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you may email me again at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, and if you're interested in classes or would like to receive a long-distance healing, you can also go to lastmaskcenter.org and um, contact us through the website to find out how, about what's going on or to schedule a long-distance session. It's all there. So today, we are um, I'm going to do my best to do a show that is a response to several questions actually from a couple different listeners about working with the spirits of the land. And today, we're, there's actually going to be two shows about this. I'm going to do the show today, which is about how to be in good relationship with the spirits of the land and how I think about all of that. And next week, I'm going to have a guest who's going to talk a little bit more about how we deal with the things that are really um, uh, off, that are really in wrong relationship, usually because of our actions, but not always our, our personal actions, but just the actions of humans over time. Um, And so I'm going to try to answer this question about working with the spirits of the land um, between these um, two shows. So today I'm talking about good relationship with the spirits of the land. And and I, I don't know what it is about issues of spirit, even our own spirit. Um, but we, we all tend to kind of freak out when we go into that realm and think we don't know how to do things or we don't know how to understand it or that it's somehow entirely different from everything else we've ever learned in our lives. And I'd like to suggest precisely the opposite. I would like to suggest that back when you were a small child and your delightful parents taught you as you were learning to speak, they taught you the magic words. They taught you please. They taught you thank you. And they taught you, I'm sorry. And hopefully they taught you to really mean, I'm sorry. Now, at the same time, at that early stage in your life, they probably also taught you one other very simple thing, which was do not lie, tell the truth. And pretty much you ran on those that protocol <laughs> for a while and you did just fine. Until, of course, you started speaking truths that people were disturbed by. And pretty soon they actually taught you manners, at which point, They were teaching you socially acceptable ways of lying. But anyway, I want to talk about that time before all that happened, when you simply were operating on, please, thank you, I'm sorry, and tell the truth. Because if you just keep those basic, well, and yes and no, so those basic dynamics for human interaction in mind, you will be fine. You will do well, actually, working with the spirit world. It's not really any more complicated than that. The problem is we got more complicated. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of shamanic practice that I think is about unwinding all of that complexity and getting back to a time when we could simply live from the heart, not as an innocent child, but as someone whose innocence is lost, but as an adult choosing to live from a place of yes and no, please and thank you. I'm sorry, and tell the truth. So I'm going to talk here today about um, different energies, and I see them loosely in these kinds of groups. There are spirits of the land. So by that, I mean the inspirited energies of the physical forms on the land with you, as well as those um, beings that live in nature that we don't normally see, often saw pretty well as kids, but don't normally see as adults. And I don't want to get too deeply into detail about the beings because I'm I'm really mostly today talking about the land, the land spirits and the elementals. But anyway, when I talk about spirits of the land, it's not only cedar in this region or the naiads and dryads or, you know, all of these different names that we've given to these energies. And honestly, I'm not really sure there are that many different energies. I think we just made up a whole bunch of different names. But anyway, I digress. So there are also the great spirits of the land. And these are the energies that hold a region in its uniqueness. And these are the... You can think of them as the ancestral energies of the land that that you're on. So for example in the Pacific Northwest of North America where I live there are the the spirits of nature that move through the seasons here with me those that are cultivated in my yard here and though and my neighbors yards those that are in the green spaces of this city and those in the forests and the natural places around But bigger than that, holding all of that, and in many ways, standing as the ancestral energies to that because they don't change so quickly through the seasons. You know, they've been here forever. And I always say when I'm calling them in in the circle, those who have been here before humans and will be here long after, those are the great spirits of the land. They hold regions. So for here in the Pacific Northwest of North America, these are these great volcanic mountains similar to – South America, actually. So these great volcanic mountains that are alive and, vol- and you know active um, to greater and lesser degrees. Um, mountain ranges. We have big coastal ranges and cascade ranges, um, could be similar, at least in the US, to like the Rocky Mountain range. These mountain ranges have a particular energy, they hold space in a particular way. We here have great deep. Ocean-going rivers, or rivers deep enough for ocean-going ships, so they're very deep rivers. It's a very different energy than, say, I've worked in Minnesota, in the middle of the United States, of North America. For those who don't know North America that well, lots of lakes not this not necessarily the same feeling of these deep rivers carving down into the earth in the same way the mountains rise up and then we have this coast here of this great pacific ocean that is not remotely pacific (laughs) it's a very um has a very deep deep um ocean floor and so big movement big weather and and then we have still present here The spirit of these great forests, these great old growth forests that once stood. And that spirit is still here. I mean, if we all just stopped, that great forest would be back before we knew it. Because if if humans just stopped doing what they do to get in the way, nature would reclaim everything. And eventually, this would be yet another great forested rainforest. So, So that's what I consider at least in this region, to be the great spirits of this region. And that I believe that it is these ancestral earth energies that did a lot to shape the shamanism of different peoples around the world because those are the spirits the people were talking to when they asked, how do we do this? How do we do this in a good way? Okay, so, so we have spirits of the land. We have great spirits of the land. We have elementals, which can be big elementals, or small sort of local elementals and small local elementals um, can get very disrupted by human activity like building houses and um, putting in streets, laying down cables, all that kind of stuff that we do to live can really disturb the natural flow of these um, smaller sort of more local elemental energies. And um, And then there's really big elemental energies. And then there's the earth herself, the earth as a being that um, from a shamanic perspective, you know, the earth dreamt of life. And that's the only reason there's life on the face of this planet. So it's her dream, her constant dreaming that is dreaming of life that is manifesting dreamers that continue to dream of life. And so it's all this cyclical relationship also with earth. So these are all energies that are present here and which at this point y'all should be going duh you know move along Christina I mean this this is not news to anybody and it shouldn't be so the show is also though about flourishing because no matter the details different shamanic cultures uh, uh, um, ascribe or whatever to the different um, elements whether it's a four element system or a five element system that the earth almost always has something to do with flourishing how do we flourish and I, and i'm using that word specifically cuz i want to get out of this survive thrive polarity that i really believe that people have flourished in in many different times on this earth because they communicated with the spirits of the land and the spirits of the earth the spirits of nature the spirits of the elements because these energies are about how we learn how to flourish together you know ecosystems flourish in their own uniqueness something gets too full of itself gets too big it's whatever it eats gets eaten up and then the thing that got too big starts to die off and things balance again you know ecosystems know how to flourish all the different ecosystems flourish in their own ways and and flourishing i think is a is a word one that's related to these energies and why we should be in good relationship with them but it's also a way for us as humans to begin to think in this particular time we live in where we have such a hard time finding how to think about wanting a better life. How do we stay out of greed and selfishness and all of the things that have really got humanity poised on the brink that it is poised upon today? To just think only of austerity isn't remotely sexy. Now, granted, I personally believe we ought to change a whole lot of things and austerity is a good word. At the same time, though... If people do not find a way to flourish with other living things, it won't work. Right? So flourishing is something that we want to learn to do with everything else, not at the expense of everything else, because ecosystems flourish most with much greatest strength when everything flourishes together. So I think that flourishing gives us a way to really pay attention. And when we pay attention to working and living in gratitude and reciprocity and respect of our environment, everything is able to flourish. We personally, as the humans may not become famous, we may not become wealthy, but we flourish. And we do so to the benefit of, not at the expense of other living things. And in this flourishing, In this exchange and the interchange of energy, there is joy. I don't know how many of you have friends that are actually exceedingly wealthy or um, exceedingly famous. But I don't usually, when I think of those people, I don't usually, my first thought isn't usually joy. But when I've been around people who flourish in their environment, one of the first words I think of is joy. Joy. And so this is what I'm advocating for and, and what I think is the big why should you bother to be in good relationship with the spirits of the land and the spirits of your region and the earth yourself, so that you can flourish into the benefit of other living things, not at the expense of other living things. So to aim at flourishing. Gives us a focus to manifest without those errors in our manifestation protocol, the errors of greed, the errors of excess, the errors of selfishness. Um, and because these are all dead end streets, and they're dead end streets not just for humans. Okay, so all human life as we know it exists purely and only because nature exists. And nature exists purely and only because the earth exists. So let's face it, the earth was here first and we desperately need the earth and the nature that flourishes here right we are visitors humans each one of us we are visitors here for a very short time personally I appreciate it when my guests say please may I have permission to be here in the beauty of your space and they don't just barge in assuming I've got a bed for them Personally, for me, I appreciate it when my guests say, thank you for sharing your food, your water, your resources so generously with me. And personally, I appreciate gifts. Uh, guests that are willing to say, I'm sorry, I wasted your gifts by taking more than I needed. Or I thought only of myself and I ate all the ice cream. I mean, for me, when I have guests... I really prefer that sense of please and thank you and I'm sorry. So why would we not ask for permission before drawing resources from the land? We are guests here. Why would we not ask permission? What kind of thinking assumes that everything is here for the taking? What kind of mind works that way? Why would we not give gratitude for the beauty and generosity of life? Even the generosity of life lessons that are always here disguised in pain and discomfort. There is so much more here than we can ever realize in one lifetime. Why would we not be on our knees in gratitude at the end of every day if only for the miracle of life in that day? What kind of thinking assumes that there is no need to reciprocate, to see, to acknowledge, to give thanks for the day that you've just had? So let's all practice our magic words together. Please, I'm sorry, and thank you. And visualize this chubby, beautiful Nepalese woman in her sari with ripples of power emanating from her skin as she humbly but definitively spends an hour and a half of everyone's time to call in the spirits to simply say, please come. Please come and help me. And then after the little business of the extraction or the whatever, then that same woman spends another hour and a half of everyone's time saying simply, thank you. Thank you to all those spirits who came. That power emanating from her skin did not come from the spirits. It came to her through her right relationship With those spirits. Understand that clearly. The power emanating from that powerful Nepalese shaman. Did not come from the spirits. It came to her through her right relationship. With those spirits. And she cultivates that right relationship. She cultivates that way for the spirits to assist her in their combined and powerful presence through her attention to please and thank you and the way that she interacts with these spirits every day. So why would we not ask for help and give gratitude for receiving it? How do you feel when people don't ask for help? You could give them and then make a huge mess, mess, which you then inevitably have to clean up after them anyway. Or conversely, how do you feel when people manipulate you into helping them or passively, aggressively get you to do what they want? How do you feel when a lover assumes you want to give it now because they want it? How do you feel when you deserve the gratitude of another and it doesn't come? Why would we not ask for permission, especially from those helping spirits whose gifts and power and guidance we seek to gain from why would we not maintain good relationship with these nature spirits and earth spirits who were here before us on whose lives for lack of a better word our life depends flourishing matters why would we not live in such a way that life flourishes Why would we not do everything we can to maintain good relationship with all living things? So this show was inspired by this, this question basically, or kind of a request from a listener. But it went something like this. She says, what's the difference between earth or land spirits and ghosts or other energies? And specifically, how should we respond to them? And she continued, in my own training as a medicine woman, I handle the earth land spirits and they are there to be appeased with offerings by teaching people how to live respectfully and in balance with them, but not removed. So I think the issue here... Is, is origin. The first thing we need to ask is origin. So the difference here between earth or land spirits and ghosts is their origin. Earth energies, land spirits, elementals, spirits of the place are all spirits of nature. They Their origin is here way before we got here. And they were here first, right? So ghosts began as humans. And... They don't belong here. They belong in the land of the dead. So the same is true. The same sort of parallel is true with any energies of human origin or creation. Like the energies that constellate around drug addiction in a person. The habitual patterns of anger that we see all around today. Or a sorcerer's tupelak created to set some malevolent end into motion. They don't belong here. And they need to be cleaned up. And so the origin of these energies is completely different. Did it originate in humans? Or is it of nature? Or is it of nature and it has simply been distorted by the actions of humans? So to understand what to do with these energies, we really need to understand their origin. So this is why you must divine first and interpret accurately. And this is why I am challenged by and am considering doing a show about the reason we need to not have shamanism interpreted allopathically. In other words, you're fine and then you catch something that gets diagnosed, and then there's this protocol we do relative to it. More and more and more, I'm seeing people who don't really understand the functions of shamanic work, um, labeling something, diagnosing something the way a therapist or a doctor does, and then prescribing this remedy that is pat or codified. That's not shamanism, people. Shamanism is authentic ritual, meaning we go to spirit Every single time to ask, what is really going on here? What is the truth? Remember I talked about that kid you were in the very beginning? Please, sorry, thank you, and do the truth. Speak the truth. Honor the truth. Shamanism is about going to spirit and asking, no matter how hard it is, to see the truth, to understand what's truly going on here, and what is the remedy. Even if the remedy needs means That people need to grow up, that people need to clean up their mess, that people need to stop shitting on each other, that people need to stop taking advantage of each other. There are old shamanic rituals all over the world of communities spending hours getting back into right relationship with each other because to take advantage of each other, to lie, and to be in bad relationship with each other meant they ended up being toxic for the environment and that and the environment wouldn't stand for it that's how it used to be and that's shamanism not this codification of this practice or that practice and you do this if a person does this and you do that if a person does that that's not shamanism that's allopathic something and it isn't going to work so to know what to do with these situations in life you must Communicate with spirit to understand the origin of these energies accurately and truthfully. And then we need to ask spirit for what to do about it. But this is why you must design first, divine, sorry. You must divine first and interpret accurately. Just because something feels icky or off or cold or uncomfortable does not mean it needs to be changed. Furthermore, the energies of the earth and the land belong here. They are part of the harmonious functioning of nature and the earth, which is essential for our life. Many energies that are essential for the well-being of the earth and the flow of energy that maintains a healthy earth are not healthy for humans. So think of simply the ones that are the gases that come off a lava flow. As new land is made manifest, that's going to kill us if we hang out there and breathe up too much. There are many environments that are too harsh for human life, but support the great diversity of life nonetheless, and they're all parts of the food chain on which we depend. So the less apparent examples would be power lines or ley lines, vortexes, other manifestations of the energetic movement around the earth that is essential for the well-being of the earth but are disease-inducing if we choose to constantly be in their presence. So my point is, if we were simply to change, to ask spirit how to change everything that feels icky off or uncomfortable to us, we would be changing things that are absolutely essential to the healthy functioning of the earth. And so we would ultimately be killing ourselves. The point of shamanism is not to remove every possible discomfort because it is the discomforts in life that teach us to grow. They're not to be removed. They're to be understood, to be unfolded. Maybe an energy needs to go back to where it really belongs. But the point is if we made the earth over in our own image, we would all die. And that idea that I come into an environment, oh, my God, there's energies here. Quick, let's do a spirit canoe. Oh, my God, there's energies here. Quick, let's do this. Quick, let's do that. Without being with the place, with the spirits, with the land and diagnosing accurately. I am uncomfortable here, but let me ask, what is really going on? I can still remember the moment I was in one of the big canyons in the canyon lands in the United States. It was Zion or one of the big ones, one of the big, beautiful ones, um, with a teacher, actually. And I was reading through some information about where we were. And I get to this paragraph that says, you know, the Native people never sp- stayed overnight in this canyon. They believed that it was it. was the canyon was like the home of spirit the home of certain nature energies and while the canyon was a place to come to do certain things and to do spirit work it was not a place to live not a place to be casual in not a place to spend the night and i remember looking up at my teacher saying why are we camping here this is a place the native people would never have spent the night why are we spending the night here and Okay, so I pitched a fit and didn't get my own way, but we didn't spend the next night there. And that was one of the worst night's sleep I'd ever had. We cannot remake things in our own image so that everything is comfortable for us. We will die for the lack of discomfort that provokes us into growth and will kill off the earth in the meantime. We must be willing to ask. We don't know. We must ask, what is going on here? And to understand it accurately and be willing to accept a remedy that in and of itself is more uncomfortable than the problem in the first place. So, there's another layer here. There are the ancestors of some peoples who literally reincarnated into different features of the landscape. And this is the land of the people's birth. And I've talked about this for other reasons in other shows. But in this case, the ancestors um, are exactly where the people and the earth agreed the ancestors should go. And they are ancestral helping spirits. They are not ghosts. They are where they belong. They are are present as ancestral helping spirits in the land. And that this is a, a good agreement. This is right relationship. It is not our place as contemporary people to barge in there and depossess them. If a certain people had agreements with the land that the ancestors would incarnate, the ancestral helping spirits, would essentially come back to their descendants in the cliff face of the whatever canyon and ranchers are having problems with their ranch above or below that cliff face because those ancestors, part of the agreement was they would watch over that land and that land would stay in its natural form and ranchers are having trouble ranching there, then move your ranch. We can't just be entitled to everything because the logical conclusion of that belief system is a dead end for all life we must ask and we must be willing to surrender what we want in this moment for a larger picture of what needs to be for the health and the well-being of all living things. So if these people were in good relationship with their ancestors and with the land, then all will flourish there. But what happens when those people whose ancestors were incarnated in our hypothetical cliff here were forcibly marched off the land so that other people would be able to take the resources out of the land. Well, two things. The people can no longer tend their relationship with their ancestors, their traditions are broken. So the people who move on the land are now in debt to those ancestral people that are on the land because the people moving in don't know how to tend those ancestors. So now you've got some cranky ancestors. The second thing that happens Um, is specifically dependent on whether or not we have permission to use those resources and how. You know, what if it's, like I said about the canyon, what if it's a place that ancient peoples understood, we need to leave this place alone, it belonged to the spirit world, to the nature world, and it needed to for the health and well-being, the life, the cycling of the energy of the earth. Okay, So let's say that these hypothetical ancestors in our hypothetical cliff are now causing trouble for the people living on the land. You know, can we depossess them? No. Instead, we need to ask what is needed to reconcile the relationship and restore prosperity for the people. So I guarantee you that what people are asked to do to appease the ancestors is exactly what is needed to come back into right relationship with the land. We are not separate from the land. And our fate is not separate from the fate of the land. That the people, whoever the people are on the land, can do the right thing to the ancestors that are there in the land. However, for flourishing, those people might also need to accept prohibitions. No, you don't get to frack here. No, you don't get to mine here. No, you don't get to clear cut here. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to listen to the spirits of the land to learn how to live in good relationship with them? It is important that we begin to clean up our energetic mess, that we begin to reconcile our relationships with each other and with nature and that we live without our sense of entitlement to our children's future. So the listener who who inspired the show today said um, to, in an email to me that you're one of the few who talk about the existence of spirits of the land. Over and over again, I hear shamans or other people assume that the only things there are ghosts, demons, residual energies, and they're helping spirits. She says, however, I rarely hear about how to be with the larger spirits of the land, the larger beings of the earth, the elements, the sun, the moon. I rarely hear to ask permission of the land, even to do a ceremony. I rarely hear anyone talk about making offerings to the spirits of the land of the place before beginning and asking permission to even put a shovel in the earth. How would you feel if a bunch of people barged into your living room and started to do a ceremony? That drew the energy out of your place. I know that projecting human feelings onto these energies is perhaps folly. But it's the only way we know to understand. And the dynamics of energetic exchange are the same. Whether it's between people or people in the spirit world. People in the land. People in the physical world. People in the environment. That All of these energies are not separate. They are all connected into oneness and thus we are all bound by the same laws of exchange, of energy and of Aini. And there's no amount of scientific thinking, simply intellectual thinking or religious thinking that is going to change the facts of how energy moves in this world. So you either ask to learn about the facts and learn how to work with the facts and in that flourish, or you keep making a mess. I mean, it's pretty simple. So what is important here is that we ask, that that we understand the origin of things and that we understand how we need to orient ourselves relative to that. So how do we respond to these different possibilities? How do we respond to a ghost or to negative energies, for lack of a better word, or to those beings of the land or spirits of the place? So the first thing, as I've said earlier in this show, is origin. Take responsibility to discern accurately what is present. Where did it come from? What is the story? Why is it here? Do not assume that you know just because it irritates you. Number two would be to orient. Ask what needs to be done for the good of all life. Orient yourself towards flourishing. Don't ask for the good of just humans, and certainly not just for yourself. Because the problem, for those of you that don't quite grok shamanism, the helping spirits will answer the question that you ask. That doesn't mean, the fact that you receive an answer doesn't mean you've asked the right question. You are responsible for your orientation in life, not the spirit world, not Jesus, not God. You, you and your free will must orient yourself properly to the world, to life. So when you ask your questions, you need to be orienting in service of life, not humans only and not yourself, but life So the third thing would be relate to all nature and earth energies present with equal respect and the regard that you would pay your teacher. And if you approach these energies from that attitude, you will likely ask the right questions. Always ask for permission to do spirit work because you are drawing from the energy of nature. Shamanism draws from the energy of nature. It's about being in relationship with the energies of nature. You are always drawing. We are every single human, not just shamanism. Life depends on the energies of nature. We are always taking always every day consuming resources. Always ask for permission to do your spirit work. State your intention. And ask for permission before working with the elements. Whether you're digging into the earth or building a fire. And especially when you're doing spirit work. Honor the ancestral helping spirits of all peoples as if they were your own. Because guess what? They are. It's one big human family, people. Honor everyone's ancestral helping spirits. Say you're sorry if needed. Say you're sorry for the people. You can speak for the people. You may be the only person who ever will. And your willingness to feel the feelings, to grieve, to say you're sorry, and to do your humble best through a simple offering to make amends may be all that ever happens and is so, so much better than nothing. Take responsibility to clean up the mess humans have created, at the very least, Clean up your own and apologize sincerely with the intention to do it differently next time. Endeavor to learn how to go forward, making as little and unnecessary mess as possible. This allows, of course, for the messiness of creativity along the course, but endeavor to go forward in a way that does not waste resources, that does not make unnecessary messes. Look back at your wake And choose to go forward with some grace. Some joy and some creativity. And finally, live every day in gratitude. Gratitude for all these things. And particularly gratitude for the things you don't understand yet. You don't know yet how it's a gift. The things that bring you discomfort. And to make you ask more questions. For these are the things that are showing up as your teachers. So live in gratitude. So these are the nine things that I would say to bring to the spirits of the land. So I also wanted to bring some different perspectives about what to do with these energies and why um, to the show here today. Most of this section that I'm about to enter into the show is from um, Alex Stark, who is a friend, an architect. He's a geomancer, a feng shui master, and a Peruvian shaman. And um, he has a great website with an enormous amount of information. Some of it I'm going to draw from now. But you can find his website at alexstark.com. And he sure figured out how to make those websites uh, way earlier than the rest of us did. It's been alexstark.com for a long time. So anyway, Alex, you can find Alex's information there. And you can reach him uh, for help through his website. So... From Alex's site, Alex says that geomancy is the study or understanding of the energies of the earth and this is what I've been trying my best to talk about today. Traditionally uh, geomancy is associated with sacred craft. Geomancy today takes many forms from the profane simple dowsing for underground water to highly complex sacred ritual techniques employed in the enhancement and cultivation of earth's subtle yet vital force fields. Of all geomancy traditions around the world, perhaps the best known is feng shui, although geomancy features prominently in the architecture of ancient Britain, Greece, and the Roman Empire, not to mention America. So geomancy refers to both the techniques used to understand, decode, and cultivate these energies, as well as the personal cultivation of the practitioner. Like I said, if we want to be, this is me again, this is not Alex, if we want to be in good relationship with the spirits of nature and the earth, we're most likely going to have to grow up. And so geomancy is not, as Alex has said, is not just the practices, but is the personal cultivation of the practitioner themselves. Geomancy is perhaps the most taxing of the sacred crafts as it requires not only extensive field experience, but also the cultivation of a deep relationship with the great powers of the cosmos of the profound humility in the face of nature. And so if we go back to the question or the comment from the listener about the show today, she talked about working with shamans that don't even call on or work with the energies of the earth or the sky or the moon or the stars. And here, Alex is telling us geomancy from long, long ago, these practitioners understood that you had to be in good relationship, not just with nature here on earth, but with the entire cosmos. Without these, any foray into this field becomes difficult, if not downright dangerous. And I would say the same thing about shamanism. Traditional training in this craft was therefore deliberately arduous and secretive, which I certainly wish shamanic training was as it used to be. Anyway, Alex once told me a story of how a person of wealth would choose to place his or her home on a new spot of land um, and that. Uh, The person would first, well, first the person had many feng shui geomancy counselors to do this. But anyway, the person would first um, observe the movement of the animals, those domesticated and wild animals across the land where they were considering placing the new structure. And they would let the animals graze and roam for at least a year watching the weather patterns through the year but also watching the animals and their movement on the land. The point is, is that there were places necessary for the well-being of the land and all that comes from it that do not support life. So he'd watch the animals and see where they would sleep, where they would graze, where they would hang out, and where they would avoid, what they would cross over but not be near. And in that way, the animals themselves, their own natural relationship with the forces around them would show the geomancers where the energies were, where were the energies that supported life and where were the energies that supported the earth, but would not support life, you know, mammals, you know, would not support, uh, where were the places that the blackberry berries grew and where were the places that the other plants would flourish? Where were the places covered with poison oak? And where are the places other plants would flourish? So this is what they looked for. And so the important thing is that the person would then put their home in the place that most supported life. And would respect the need to leave alone but stay away from the areas in the earth that uh, were necessary but did not support life. And this is an important aspect in feng shui and geomancy: is this understanding um, that we are not here to reshape the earth to host only the energies that serve us. That if we were to do that, we would kill the earth and thus kill ourselves. That we need—we're not here to remake the earth in our own image of greed and selfishness. That there is a wisdom in the earth that we need to surrender to and to learn from. And this is really the art of geomancy. Okay, so another thing that um, from Alex's side is he talks about power spots, and this is a big deal in shamanism, people traveling all over the world to go beyond power spots. And the important thing is there's power spots everywhere, right? And all traditional peoples have identified places in their landscapes, which are endowed with special powers, and often these power naturally. Endowed with special powers and often these powers were related to primary communal concerns such as fertility, reproduction, longevity and success or flourishing. Because once again we're talking about power spots of the land, right? And they all come back to all the different dynamics involved in flourishing. And the sources of these powers in um, geomancy kind of feng shui are classified in subgroups. Um, They are powers that uh, derive directly from the earth itself, powers that derive from symbolic or mythological importance of a location, and powers that derive um, by the virtue of their conceptual reference to the sources of the power. It's a little bit complicated. But anyway, my point is there are different kinds of power spots, and some of them have to do with what's inherent in the earth itself, and some of them have to do with our relationship to the earth, our history, what happened here, what can we do there, things like that. So in addition to the power spots, there are also ley lines or in feng shui they would be called dragon veins and the power of the earth has often been described in terms of channels or meridians through which its forces are said to travel. These are known as dragon veins to the Chinese and many other names to many other peoples and these are discrete paths through which energy is said to move. Um, Often, elaborate efforts are made to capture and enhance the power of these lines to human advantage. Very early cultures are known to have manipulated these energies and this particular kind of knowledge has survived to our times. So now when I do ancestral work, What I see in the difference between ancestors who leave blessings on their descendants and return as ancestral helping spirits is people who learned how these energies work and how to enhance or work with these energies so that everything flourishes. Now, the ancestors, that get stuck as the unresolved dead and they don't clear out of here. They don't serve as ancestral helping spirits to their descendants because they can't they create disease by hanging around that these ancestors are often the ancestors who tried to who either broke the rules or stopped the practices so these are the ancestors that stopped giving gratitude to the earth and funny thing the farm stopped flourishing these are the practitioners that thought well if we can bend the rule and get the earth to give us this why don't we just break that rule and really give the earth to give us this? So these are the ancestors that are caught, that are stuck, that are not crossed over, and are causing illness in their descendants today. That their lives become a curse on their descendants, not a blessing. But those ancestors that understood these ancient ways that Alex is talking about in geomancy and feng shui, shamanism, And maintain good relationship with the land, offer a blessing to the descendants that ends up adding up to, in our lives, the ability to flourish. So another thing that um, I've enjoyed listening to Alex talk about, because he explains things really well, is that there are also places of geopathic stress in the land. And these are the kinds of things that I believe the listener was referring to when she talked about the kinds of energies that are uncomfortable for us and other people want to just depossess. And she was talking about working with the spirits of the land to figure out how to reconcile the relationship. So some geopathic stress can be reconciled and some can't So or shouldn't. Geopathic stress is the result of disturbed energies within the earth's mantle. This is from Alex's site. It has been implicated in a number of undesirable effects which can be detrimental to human health, from simple effects such as sleeplessness or confusion, to highly dangerous ones such as cancer, decreased fertility in both humans and animals, accidents, and material or mechanical failures in construction. The earth is surrounded by an energy grid that contains and transmits vital forces. However, this energy grid can become sick. So the earth herself can become sick. And the energies which it contains and emanates can become harmful to life. The most dangerous form of geopathic stress is the presence of a harmful underground water veins known as black streams. These usually involve underground water that has become harmful due to human activities such as road cuttings, foundations, excavation, mining, explosions, war, and other human activities. Sometimes natural topography can exhibit similar effects, particularly if there are concentrations of iron ore below the ground. But basically what we're seeing here is how our behavior can disturb the natural flow of energy in the land and begin to create... um, bigger problems that then create health problems and Alex goes on to describe how these black streams um, can propagate through uh, the structures are not cleaning them up and con- are continuing to move them propagate them through the land with um, like along railroad tracks and things like that so a what do you do when you you take the time to find out what's really going on and you find out wow, this is a big thing and I don't really know how to deal with it well you could email Alex. But I also have a student who is particularly tuned into elemental energies and to the, the local spirits of the land. Um, his name is Daniel Abney. And I didn't actually ask him if I could do this. But I'm going to give you all his email address anyway. Because if you've got stuff going on with these kind of energies on your land, Daniel can help you. Getting it. So his email is Daniel Abney. A-B-N-E-Y, Daniel Abney at gmail.com. He is particularly gifted at working with these kinds of disturbed energies. And so with all that said here today, I would just, um, was going to share a little bit more, but I've run out of time. So let me just say that it is worth our time and energy to be come into good relationship with the spirits of the land on which we live with the great spirits of the land of our region and ultimately to come in right relationship with earth herself and the sky above as a way to orient ourselves in the true energies that sustain, that truly sustain life versus the stories and the ideas and the contemporary things going on all around us. So we can bemoan what we've lost in these ancient traditions, or we can begin again. And we can learn the way the first people learned how to be in good relationship with the land, which is we can ask those very same spirits for their help and their teaching. So thank you all for listening here with me today. I'd like to thank the ancestors for gathering around the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, our guest will be David Farkas, and he'll continue this conversation I began this week. And for those of you that want to come and study with me at Last Mass Center, go to lastmasscenter.org at the calendar and look for the classes that still remain. Year number one begins in July, and there are still three sites open in that class. So thank you, everyone. Have a great week.